Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to Season 2 of 7 Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast. My name's Neil Mackay and I'm your host as always. Uh, first of all, a massive thank you to everybody who supported uh, the first season. Um, it's just been incredible. I never expected to get as many people listening as we did. So many interactions online and in person. We just had our first ever meetup this week with the guys from Sexy Meat Talks. And that was amazing, bringing all the guests together. There was seven out of the 12 guests from season one all met up and some listeners as well. So that was really incredible. So thank you so much to everyone in the Saigon community and abroad who's been supporting. It's been uh, incredible. Now, um, season two is pretty much going to be the same as season one. I'm going to be talking to people who live in Saigon, talking about life here and where they've come from and their backgrounds just the same as before but this season I'm going to change it up a little bit and we're going to have some different questions at the end of each episode. So my first guest of season two is a local comedian. She's from Hanoi but now Saigon has been her home for nearly six years now and my guest is Vumin Tu. How are you Vumin Tu? Hi, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm going to stop calling you Vumin Tu. Your name's Tu. Yeah, you don't call me Vumin Tu. It sounds like I've done something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know, is that my name is uh, a guy's name, so I don't want to be called by that too often. Uh, normally, delivery guy would call me up and be like, Hey, Ang, 
you know, have a package delivered and then you say, oh, like sometimes they even write on the packaging that to Mr. Wu Ming Du, I was like, oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> what part of your name is a guy's name then? The whole combination. Two is a unisex name, but oh. like if you put the whole thing, it's supposed to be unisex, but I feel like a lot of guys has taken that name. So now it's um, by, con- you know, like, consensually, it's just a guy's name. And in fact, if you go on Google and Google my name, the the result usually comes up as a some rapist. Some. <laughs> some I don't like to Google my name. I don't encourage people to Google my name. So, what two is telling you on a podcast that you're listening to, probably sitting next to Google? Don't Google women too. Absolutely don't do that, yeah. which obviously now everybody's doing that, now you've said that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so when you do find said person, it's not the same person I'm interviewing today. Mm. She is a female and she's a very funny comedian as well. So so you're from Hanoi originally, right? Yeah. What was it like growing up in Hanoi then? Um, growing up in Hanoi is uh, in interesting in its own way. Uh, I mean... Uh, when I was there, the city has not really been open to uh, outside influence yet. So it is uh, still, it was still a pretty small, nice capital. Feel, still feel very colonial in a way because uh, we still have a lot of building uh, from that time. And most of the business ran by the government. So it's not um, a profit focused like nowadays. So. Uh, you could go to uh, a cinema that is totally empty and then spend your whole day there watching like pirated movie because <laughs> at that time you know nothing is copyrighted yet and uh, it was beautiful like uh, I could uh, walk around the Huan Kiem Lake the whole day uh, and has not been flooded by tourists or expats yet so everything was just quiet and nice it like a nice pretty small town However, uh, besides that, uh, it was also very stressful because uh, unlike in Saigon, where parents uh, let their kids have certain freedom in Hanoi, uh, parents were very strict, so we were made to go to school most of the time. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I had to attend two schools at once. One's like a normal primary school and one's in a music school. Yeah. In the evening? in uh during lunch time wow i took a break from uh, my main school go to uh, piano class in a music school and then went back to my normal school to continue after class but is it, it was typical for hano kids uh i feel like maybe because my family uh, uh was a little bit more privileged compared to others so that's why we could afford uh, education like that but uh, I mean even for a less privileged family they also try to push their kids to learn a lot of things at once and we talked about this in season one with Daniel who his parents were from the north as yeah. well and he was talking about how strict they are and yeah. the pressure and do you, so do you think parents are stricter in the north than in the south uh, yeah definitely parents are way stricter in the north because I, I think uh, they believe uh, having proper education, you know, on this certified degree and stuff like that uh, would help you a lot uh, 
in your career later on and uh, learning skills like uh, music sport or whatever would benefit in the long run so uh, so they just hope that uh, their children can do better than themselves they themselves in the future so uh, yeah I think so they um, parents in the north are very aspirational whereas parents in the south I feel like they uh, um, care for their children in a more day-to-day -day basis is like um, have you had enough of sleep have you eaten enough or have you had like enough free time to hang out with your friends and stuff like that because so being an English teacher previously I feel like you can see the amount of pressure that gets put on children here in Saigon and yeah. I've never worked in Hanoi yeah so I can't imagine that parents here are less um, put less pressure on their kids than in the north because I already think that they put already put a lot of pressure yeah. on so if they're, they're stricter in the north that must be an incredible amount of pressure they put on the children yes I mean in the south uh, parents are still strict but I feel like kids here get more time to hang, hang out with friends like in general yeah. and then they have more uh, extracurriculum activities in school uh, which is just a difference in uh, education uh, system between two uh, regions. So I noticed in the south they have more clubs like you after after school now you can go for dance class, judo class, swimming club, sports center and stuff like that. Whereas in the north is mostly focused on the academy. So I mean still it's still considered time hanging out with your friends, but. Uh, Maybe you, you get to do less fun stuff, I guess. Interesting. Yeah. And what are some of the other big differences then between the North and the South, uh, generally speaking? Generally speaking, I, I think it's the general attitude of people in uh, those two dif uh, different regions. Like in the North, people are more reserved. Um, I would say... Um, I think in the north people care so much about keeping face you know that phrase we usually say so uh, in any situation they want to appear um, their best even uh, when they have a guest in the house even if they don't like that person they try their best to treat the guest nicely whereas in the south people are more straightforward more direct um, and then uh, so if you have a guest who you don't like so much, maybe they can take that guest outside to eat. <laughs> Instead of, you know, like forcing themselves to cook a nice meal at home for the guests, like what people usually do in the North. So uh, yeah, in the South, people are more open-minded, uh, more direct. In the North, people are more reserved, but also like once you make it into their inner circle, so called, um, um, they usually keep you as friends for life. Like, their loyalty is really, really high. I would say, yeah. Interesting. And so you mentioned saving face, and we talked about this before with uh, Daniel. What yeah. What's your uh, definition of saving face? What does this phrase mean to you? Uh, I think it's to appear the least vulnerable as possible because um, uh, I think northern people are very private and uh, because 
this is funny because the thing uh this is one of the thing i think the architectural structure affect our social interaction so in the north we have this compound called which means like a compound which usually have like um three different buildings linked to each other make it into the square and in the middle of it there's a playground so what happened is that people usually hang out in that playground and then they start talking to each other gossiping and stuff like that and then uh, neighbor would know about each other's life in detail so like once you mess up a little bit then the whole fucking compound know about that that's why it's really important for you to appear as best as you can to just avoid being gossiped yeah, about just to avoid being gossiped about because is it because people know it's so prevalent that if you step out of line you do anything wrong that everyone's going to hear about yeah, it everyone's wow. gonna hear about and so is that what makes it different then to you know coming from a western culture because i think we in the west we still like to save face like we still like to cut like put on a good appearance we don't like to yeah. do things in the wrong way but we I don't think we just we don't have that same concept or a, a strongly like held belief in like saving face you know I think we we can tolerate messing up or maybe being talked about I don't yeah. know is that is that what the difference is I always struggle to understand exactly what saving face is yeah it's just about um be you want to be accepted as a normal member of a group so you try to appear as average as possible, you know, to avoid conflict or to avoid gossip or any uh, negative connotation about yourself. Uh, and then I also have to say that uh, although it seems like a bad thing, but uh, it's actually good because then you have some sort of uh, reference to know if you uh, which one can potentially be a bad company, which one is a good one. Because the thing is that once you live in such a condensed space, it's important to uh, maintain a, a general safety for everyone. So like even on the gossipy ladies, right, they seem to be so petty. But the fact is that because they uh, spend a lot of time sitting around, they actually keep the area safe. You know, like they would watch out every house when uh, people are away or work yeah. yeah so yeah it's good i mean it's not too bad yeah <laughs> there's a trade-off always yeah no yeah. that's true and you mentioned so hanoi obviously huang kim lake is yeah. very touristy now like the yeah. old quarter as well and i love it up there when i go up there and it's really nice to walk around it's i find it very different to saigon a very different feel what what's your thoughts though like because you've seen that change like you just mentioned like for you growing up it was well, it would have just been like an old village or, or town mm. whereas now there's just tourists everywhere like what's your thoughts on that mm. my thought on that uh, first of all I uh, really appreciate the fact that because we have a lot of tourists there the food culture has been improved by a lot I remember when I was 10 years old there was only like two places that sold pizzas at that time in the entire Hanoi and then now when I come back I came back to Hanoi just a month ago and holy hell it's, there's so many good foods over there like I can spend the whole day eating without <laughs> being bored um, so yeah that's a good thing that um, about having a lot of tourists um, and um, but then also the 
the downside of that is uh, traffic, obviously, and the price of things in general. Um, it, it has become more expensive uh, compared to probably five years ago, even. And uh, yeah, but but I mean, this is one thing I I like to point out. Um, a lot of foreigners say that Hanok people are very rude. I have heard this. Yeah. I haven't. I haven't actually experienced it myself, but I, I've heard people say yeah, that. Yeah, you heard uh, people saying that. Um, like some people say maybe a little bit xenophobic. Okay. Yeah, but I think because Hanok people are more reserved, so they are more careful of who they are really letting in. So a lot of foreigners in the north wouldn't be accepted as expats until they uh, have learned certain amount of Vietnamese, for example, then um, the local would treat them obviously way nicer. Whereas in the South, it's not really mm. a problem. Interesting. Yeah, interesting, right? So yeah, so I feel like yeah, even though there's a lot of tourists or expats in the Hanoi, but uh, due to our general attitude, to um, you know that very selective about who we are welcoming uh, it, the impact has not been too great in any sense which I like about it <laughs> as a local because like normally we don't want change normally we want to keep this ideal memory of the place we grow up yeah so that's that's just my thought <laughs> And Vietnam, and obviously Saigon is becoming such a like foodie culture. Like, like, and it's, Vietnam is known worldwide for Vietnamese food. Yeah. But now, like Saigon, especially, just so many cuisines here, so many amazing restaurants. It's growing every day. Like, it's pretty cool. Like, just how much good food you can get here that that's not Vietnamese food. Yeah, I mean, in Saigon is I think even there are even more food than in Hanoi. And I love it because, uh, yeah, also the food here are of, uh, because we have like bigger population mm. and uh, a lot of expats coming from um, their own country, uh, being chef, you know, they bring over their food in the most authentic way. So I really love the food here in Saigon. <laughs> But the problem is to travel out to eat <laughs> Traveling to get yeah, it. Yeah, to travel <laughs> to get it is uh, an issue. And then, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, once people live in Saigon, they need to get used to the distance, I guess. It's such yeah. a big city, yeah. And I think it's easy to forget that sometimes that it's a massive, massive city. Yeah, i never been to a certain district here ever. Like District uh, 11. And 12, I actually never been there. Yeah, like District 10, 8, out that way. Uh-huh. Like, I've never been. you never been. Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe they... once or twice, but yeah, there's no reason to go much. I don't know what's there, to be honest. I mean, if you know certain good food, then maybe that's the reason for yeah. you to go out there. Yeah. Because there's um, a Jamaican place, I don't know if it's new or I've just heard about it, but um, there's a Jamaican place that's not far from here that I want to try. It's meant to be amazing. And then I just saw something posted about an Ethiopian restaurant as well and um, that I want to check that out as well and just like yeah new things popping up all the time like just yesterday I went to the village grill I don't know if you've heard of that and it just does like burritos and burgers and stuff but it's like amazing food and yeah yeah my uh, Mexican friend 
came here and he said that he had the best Mexican food in the last three years in, here in Saigon. Wow. So uh, I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> where is that from? Huh? Do you remember where that, uh, that District from? 2, uh, what do you call it? Uh, district Federal. Federal. Yeah, District, district Federal. Federal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah you're yeah, supposed yeah. to pronounce it that way. Yeah. Uh, you know, that is one of my favorites. That's one of the best. That's yeah. really, really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you've been in Saigon for six years. Um, I've been here three, and I've, it's such a rapidly developing place. So I've seen it change massively in three years. What's the biggest difference that you've seen in six years? Our biggest difference I've seen in six years is uh, the uh, change in uh, hanging out place. Like before, when I first came back here, right, we had a really big venue. For events like cargo which could um, host around 400 to 600 people at once observatory when it was still in a very obscure underground place so back then um, everything was way cheaper I'm such a cheapo <laughs> I supported anything cheap it was everything was just way cheaper and then we could hang out you know um way longer and i feel like oh maybe because i'm getting old that's why i don't hang out that late anymore but i feel like in the last six years saigon has become more commercial in a way uh which is not a bad thing but also i feel like it limits certain um, development in the indie scene yeah I mean, it comes with, it's like the, the price of development, right? Like the new buildings, it's becoming an, a more modern city. It's going to be, unfortunately, it's going to become more expensive. And it is already, you know, more expensive. Yeah. So I guess one of these trade-offs, right? Like we get all this new food and we get these new exactly. bars and we get these new buildings and new apartments and it's all lovely. And then it's like, oh, but everything's not as cheap as it used to be. Yeah. And also the fact that a lot of expat, um, because, you know, like I work mostly in the entertainment scene. And, uh, and the art scenes and uh, most of my exposure is to those kind of scenes. So what I have seen is that like the expat um, about six years ago, they were still very enthusiastic. So they came out and then display themselves kind of like, hey, I have this thing, take a look at me and stuff. Um, they, they was more excited. So, but then I think after six years, um, they kind of withdraw a little bit and then uh, now they go back to a smaller, kind of uh, community instead of spreading them out throughout the whole city like before so that's why it create this uh, maybe I call it like a feeling that the, the scene has shrunk the, the, the creative scene or the music the scene? creative uh, scene has shrunk but uh, also this is an interesting thing I want to talk about because when I've been to Hanoi probably because of the size of the city, the creative scenes is more, how to say, uh, steadily growing over there. Like um, they, I feel like people go out more for events over there than uh, people here. They, um, also the size of city could affect that because in Hanoi, like in one night, you could go to three events Whereas in Saigon, I think the most you could go is two events at most. 
It's an interesting point, yeah, because yeah. I put on events and it sometimes it can be difficult to get people to come out. And I, I've never, I didn't think about the size of Saigon as being a reason why, because you know what it's like. People live in the D two bubble or the yeah, Tavian yeah. bubble. People live in the D seven bubble. And so once they get home, or some people just work and live there, so it's really difficult to get them to come out. And many events are in D1, right, in the central of the, t- the city, but not many people actually live in District 1, right? So anytime you have an event there, yeah, you're asking people to leave their bubble. So interesting, so you're saying Hanoi, because it's smaller and more concentrated, is a better response. Interesting. But see... You, so you, you're saying, from your perspective, you think the creative scene has, has kind of dispersed over six years. So in the three years that I've been here, I feel like it's increased in Saigon. I feel like, because when we first got here, there wasn't so much going on. Like stand-up comedy, for example, we can get into that. But for stand-up comedy, there was nothing happening here. When we got here three years ago, there was like one open mic night. It was Brian and Diana do shows. I don't know if you ever went to that. That was an emergency room. Uh, I... Uh... When, uh, when I came into the scene, they already left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think they left. Yeah. They, were, they, were, they left about two years ago, I think. Yeah. And so there wasn't much going on in comedy. I don't really think there was much going on in music. There was no venues, like you are saying. And it's interesting you brought up Cargo because actually Damien's going to be a guest on a future episode. And we're going to talk about Cargo and, and what happened to the music scene. And um, so I got introduced to him through uh, a friend called Chris Dundon. And so um, I'm really excited to, to, to meet him because I, I don't know him and um, find out more about the music scene and, and why there's not as big of a music scene here as there probably should be. But I, yeah, I find that over the three years, the, the, the amount of events like gender funk and the, all the comedy events and there's live music every night. I feel like there's more and more, but I, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure how, how well attended they all are. Maybe the diversity... Um of the event I mean there, there are more events nowadays but like um, maybe I, I hope for more diverse mm-hmm. not not to say diverse because now we have like a lot of uh, LGBTQ events uh, comedy events but uh, I, I hope everything just you know everything get to flourish instead of being kept in a box <laughs> For such an extended period of time, because in the last two years, I would say uh, the the growth seems to be stunned in a way. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we'll, I've looked into this because it's come up a couple of times. So I, there's about a hundred thousand expats here, in a city of ten million people. So the expats make up like a tiny percentage of it, and obviously Vietnamese people absolutely come to these events, but a lot of them are. I mean, most of them are English based a lot of people here speak English but not everyone they are kind of catering for almost um, expat tastes I guess so do you think that's what maybe stunts attendance or people attending these events because actually this the, in terms of the expat community it's a village of 100,000 people yeah because whatever I talk um, I refer to as in- entertainment scene I mostly refer to the expat entertainment scene for the local entertainment, I think um, they are doing well. Like, um, yeah, pretty much, it's more happening. So what? Is the, I'm interested to hear this answer. What do Vietnamese people do for fun socially that I wouldn't know about, right? Because I'm sure there's so many events that are posted in Vietnamese Facebook groups or posted in Vietnamese, and I have no idea about it. 
is there are there a bunch of things going on that I have no clue about because I'm clueless? I'm gonna sound like a Vietnamese hating Vietnamese. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean Vietnamese, I don't know. But like most of my friends, they like to go to pub and bar and uh, EDM club and stuff like that. I feel like because uh, Vietnamese. Uh, when we grow up, we don't have the luxury of going to uh, a really happening music festival. So I feel like people uh, um, are more interested in something that's uh, noisier. <laughs> so that's why you hear about all these like Vina house <laughs> just hammering into your head. <laughs> I, I don't get me wrong, like some local club do pl- play like really good music good hip-hop, good mix, uh, good house music. But then uh, most of the time I feel like uh, people in Vietnam, they just want a place to hang out. to, uh, uh, And then they haven't really paid so much attention to the quality of things yet. So if you ask what Vietnamese usually do in their free time, I would say they just want a break from thinking. And it's not like we think a lot. <laughs> So they usually go out for drink, uh, drink a lot, go to loud club. Uh, and then if people have their own family, then maybe they would just stay at home and uh, have good time with family. Uh, for younger people, I feel like um, we don't have much options for them. Because um, as I observe from my younger friends, most of the time they would just go around and eat. They don't really have a venue to go there and be exposed to a different kind of performance or, or maybe even cultural event. And it's really difficult because the thing is that um, due to our educational system, <laughs> we don't really have a strong uh, commonly shared cultural background. Yeah. And I think that's difficult to uh, have some sort of uh, platform that could reach um, more people than uh, compared to like other um, scene in different countries. I what I think though is amazing with Vietnamese people is how much they love to just socialize and talk, right? And I was making this point to a friend recently that. I think us as Westerners, we need an excuse to go out. So we need to go and watch sports and stare at a screen. We need a quiz night. We need live music. We need something to to make us go out and talk to each other, right, and drink. Whereas Vietnamese people can just sit and just talk. And the reason I realized this is because I run quiz nights and I was trying to get more Vietnamese people to come and I had my Vietnamese friend, brought all of her friends. They paid no attention to the quiz at all and just sat there and talked all night. And I wasn't mad, I was like, this, this is incredible, they don't need an excuse to like sit and hang out and have a reason to talk, they just sit there and talk. Uh, um, this is interesting because you bring it up. Uh, also, I think the reason why not that many Vietnamese go to event like a, a live band museum concert is because uh, I feel like Vietnamese are, are not comfortable at expressing themselves their reaction to something <laughs> that's out of ordinary like let's say we socialize by talking because talking is normal it's like a 
the the simplest interaction ever. But once you put a performance there, people just don't know how to react appropriately. So that's why they prefer not to involve that this alien element. So explain that a little bit more to what what would be acting inappropriately or what would be a, an appropriate no, it, reaction. No, no, it, it is all according to their standard. Like uh, when I go to watch a comedy show, for example, for you guys, it, it's no brainer, right? You go to comedy show, you laugh. Like the louder you laugh, the better for everyone over there. But I noticed that a lot of Vietnamese people go to comedy show and then they look like they're not sure how loud they should laugh. Yeah, is that... And is that tied into saving face or am I getting that? Sorry? Is that related to saving face or am I... Yeah, kind of. It's like, uh, and especially maybe just me, but I noticed that especially Vietnamese girls, they don't feel uh, really comfortable to just like laugh out loud, mm-hmm. like a hyena or whatever. And that's because so, they don't want to stand out? Because... Um, that's just how they are taught normally like uh, maybe women should not laugh too loud in public but once they pass a certain age then they have this anti laugh which is like really terrorizing like, <laughs> so, it's scary but it's, like uh, once they um, are still young I think they haven't made it to the point of um, you know um, being able to express themselves uh, carefree as they should and that is really tied into you know that educational background that cultural background where they're not really encouraged i guess to to do that right yeah it's um basically to be more reserved because in school i'm not sure about nowadays but back in my day if you express yourself a little bit differently from the norm uh, you usually uh, attracted really uh, unwanted attention from teachers and sometimes even punish for just being loud. Like, let's say if you dye your hair, then you would have to face endless complaints from your own family member and that's mm-hmm. the thing you don't want. So, um, yeah, but then I, I feel like uh, with uh, the internet and all this uh, exposure to foreign culture, you let people are becoming more open-minded. So I, it will take time for things to take a better tone, I guess. Yeah. So let's talk about your comedy then. So you're, uh, I would say you're a pretty famous comedian oh, in the Saigon scene, in the Vietnamese scene, and even maybe in Southeast Asia. Um, I've seen you perform from, I think, near the beginning. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. Because well, when did you start? I've been here for three years and pretty oh. much been going to shows the whole time. I started in uh, September 2017. Yeah. Yeah. So I would have been here. Yeah, so I, I've, I've seen you from the beginning. Yeah. So how did you get into comedy? How's that been as a... So not only as a female comedian, a Vietnamese female comedian, and you're doing it in your second language. Oh, interesting that you asked, because <laughs> the thing is that um, what happened in, in to, uh, 2017, I went through a really uh, deep period of depression. Uh, and uh, at that time, I didn't know it was depression, but I noticed that I couldn't communicate uh, verbally, not that I could now <laughs> very well. But back then, I just totally uh, lost my ability to communicate, especially in English. I went to work, try to present my ideas, and no one could get it. 
and my boss were like what's wrong with you like you used to be better than this and I thought it was because I lived in Vietnam for so long that my English had become rusty because before this I lived in Singapore and Malaysia for 10 years so I got to use English more often however when I'm back here then maybe I didn't get to use it that much anymore so I was like okay uh, let me go and see how what I could do about this so I went and asked my friend uh, who is Wiley, you know, another comedian. I asked him if there's any English club I could join or Toastmaster club and stuff like that, um, which was tricky because my English level would just not fit into any of the available club at that time. So uh, Wiley suggested me to maybe try stand-up comedy so uh, I could uh, improve my public speaking and at the same time, you know, have more humor in my life. To improve my situation hopefully and that's when I started yeah and was stand-up comedy something you'd always been interested in had you been a fan of the the art form or was it was it at this time you decided oh, I'm gonna give this a try uh, I didn't really watch that much stand-up comedy before 2017 like before that I only knew uh, Mitch Hedgeberg and Sarah Silverman, those are the two comedians I watch. Uh, but then also not that often either. Uh, but however, I did read a lot of uh, humor column uh, in a magazine, or uh, like reading some Guardian, The Onion. So I, I was super into like written kind of humor. So, so once I started uh, stand-up comedy, um, my uh, interest in writing humor uh, kind of helped, yeah. So tell me about that process then. So what was the process from you deciding, okay, I'm gonna do stand-up comedy to then getting on stage? How did that play out? Oh, I uh, did take a workshop and uh, it helped me in a way. Because before this, I was also kind of uh, familiar with performing on stage. I took piano lesson, I took guitar lesson, and for both I've been performed in uh, like recital in big concert hall just because our school could afford it. <laughs> so I, I was already familiar with like crowd. So once I uh, perform comedy, I, I think it was not something really new to me. But it was, I just need to do a little bit of adjustment and I think I got a hang of it. <laughs> well, no, you're, you're very funny. So obviously, if anyone hasn't heard you, you're very raunchy, I would say, very dirty, very sexual. Uh, was that like a conscious decision? Like, like so I, I don't know you as a person, so I don't know, do you, I don't know if that's your persona off, is that an onstage persona or is that, that's just you in normal life? Like, yeah, tell me how did that, how did that onstage kind of material, where did that come from? Oh, um, so this is funny because a lot of people think that I'm very raunchy, I'm very dirty and stuff like that. But this is what I told JK, another comedian, is that people usually uh, underestimate my ability to be normal. thing is that uh, I was brought up in uh, by a mother who was very masculine, a very strong woman, but also very masculine in her way of thinking and dealing with things. And also I grew up with a brother. So uh, on the time, I would uh, 
fluctuate between being really girly and being really boyish. So once I approach a sexual topic, I would approach it with a curious eyes, almost childish, rather than um, some, you know, like sexy, raunchy, adult point of view. I think it worked out well, like um, people just take it whatever way they want. Like dirty old men who think I'm very sexy and then younger girls who think I'm very empowering in a way. Which is nice for me. <laughs> so was that a conscious decision? Like uh, this is the persona, I want to be like this raunchy comedian, I want to tell these dirty jokes or they just came naturally to you? I think it's also, um, it's like I had no choice because you know I, I am doing stand-up comedy and the thing is that uh, you need to find something relatable to the um, that a anyone can relate to and my audience is such a huge mix of people coming from different countries uh, UK, US, you already know there's a huge difference in culture over there a little bit of Vietnamese uh, and then uh, it's really difficult to find a topic that I could talk about and everyone could understand so I resort to just toilet humor <laughs> and dick jokes those are always work and people say it's, it's like it's 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 an easy topic to write about you know but uh, i think if you can do it well i was just about to say though you, easy but you you got to do it well right like yeah. some of my best jokes are dick jokes and i'm like i'm, I'm like that I should be able to come up with something better than that but they get the biggest laughs and the the funny yeah. <laughs> if you see a uh, like some like world-class famous comedians sometimes they for their whole special they just talk about dicks and tits and genitals and still they can capture your attention for hours mm -hmm. that means they do it really well mm -hmm. and there's no shame in doing dirty jobs of course you're gonna get um, fewer gigs as a matter of fact i'm gonna have to MC for a startup event and the requirement is to clean, to do clean comedy, and I, I think I'm stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm gonna struggle. Uh, so, what's been the reaction then, uh, as a Vietnamese female, to your the content of your comedy and to your performances? Because um, you kind of touched on it a little bit different to like an old man to a female. Because I mean, I know I've obviously seen you perform. I've been shocked sometimes, like especially in the beginning. It's like, what is she talking about? This is, and it's hilarious. And I've seen like Vietnamese people in the audience, like just being like, can't believe what you're saying. You know, how has that been? I think I was just born without a filter. Like this, this has been an issue when my mom was still alive. She was very scared of taking me to a, a family gathering, you know, because I would say something very outrageous. And uh, for my mother's side, everyone was very traditional. So sometimes I would say something and everyone would just keep quiet. And then they complained to my mom later on. But it's funny because once I moved to Saigon, which uh, I am, um, most of my family here was on my father's side. I figured out that they also had no filter. Probably I inherited this no filter from my father's side. Like my aunt would tell her future daughter-in-law like, don't try to go dig my son, we got nothing for you. In, on the wedding day, in front of the parents-in-law. So I, I don't know, it, it's just our thing, I think it just. 
And so what's your family's reaction been to your comedy? Have they come to see no, you? No, like uh, my brother tried to come to support me. Actually, like whenever I took part in a competition, he would be there to provide uh, some moral support. Uh, but I think it's more like to talk shit about me to other contestants. <laughs> but other than that, my family doesn't really know what I'm doing. And I think they have no interest to find out what I'm doing either. Yeah. But, but have they heard about it? They know, like they, they're aware of it and, and what you talk about? I think they are aware of it. But the thing is that they are not sure what stand-up comedy is about. So in their head, they just think of me as being like a comedian in a very Vietnamese tradi traditional sense. And uh, they're just surprised because um, in their eyes, I I'm not funny at all. <laughs> and so what is a, a traditional Vietnamese comic then? Very sla uh, slapstick, very... Um, I feel like in order to do traditional Vietnamese comedy, you either were born with or without it. So like you have to be really vocal, really um, joyful, like this thing just radiate from within. Mm -hmm instead of something that you could learn and um, you know sharpen throughout the years like English stand-up comedy so more like a clown is, is would be like would, clownish is that kind of clownish uh, or maybe like a um, hyper man sort of thing yeah you need to be able to uh, um, deliver this kind of energy whereas in uh, English stand-up comedy you if you're not that energetic then maybe you could resort to a more like low-key or dry humor yeah yeah it's common some some of the funniest comics are those ones where they just are just so like yeah dour or like low-key and but it's just so funny because I, I spoke to you once before about like I was like could we do a show where it's uh comics in v like speaking in Vietnamese and then so you, you explained to me like yeah it's just kind of like not possible right um some people are doing it um, actually, I think I'm gonna check out this uh, stand-up Vietnamese uh, Vietnamese stand-up comedy show next week, 14th of August. Some guys are doing it in Vietnamese, and uh, because he owned the venue and he had all these logistics, so he just tried out. I heard from my friends who um, came to see the first show. They said that uh, it seemed like maybe it is possible to do stand-up comedy in Vietnamese. So I'm gonna check it out, but like personally for me, I still find it difficult to do it in Vietnamese. So explain them why is it difficult in Vietnamese? I think the nature of our language is just so. Uh, it's not built to uh, be able to construct a punchline. Um, so uh, let's say uh, in order to establish a premise, a build up, and then the punchline in English is just gonna take you like three or four sentences, whereas in Vietnamese you would need probably five minutes. Just there's just no also there's just no subtlety in Vietnamese. I feel like like in English you can say the f word, uh, like talking about genitals and everything and it still do not sound that vulgar but then in Vietnamese it sounds like something really bad like it's more bad than it is funny that's the problem oh, interesting so it's yeah. more difficult to be subtle or what we have innuendo and yeah is that what it is it might be like the 
it make the comedian sound uh, repulsive. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, you're you've got a obviously you've got a big presence on social media. Or I don't know big presence, but you're a big fan. You use you post a lot, right? Yeah, I had a lot of free time on my hands. <laughs> I wonder that. I'm like, how did she post I so much? I am unemployed, so that's why. <laughs> so um, I find it interesting, I guess, that this part of the day and the age that we live in, the social media age, not only do I know you through watching your comedy, I know you through just seeing your social media posts because you are so frequent. And as I kind of mentioned in the beginning, I, I don't really know you outside of comedy or social media. So I see kind of your life through social media and and you mentioned earlier you have suffered from depression and I did see that through your social media posts and I did even notice at a couple of your shows and it was when you were posting about this you did seem like down and I was like oh I hope she's okay like you didn't seem like you were doing too well thankfully I mean I, I noticed a change both online and both at your shows that you just like you suddenly looked so much happier you were posting that you were doing better and so that was good to see. Uh, and so how are you doing with that? I hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing uh, better, I guess. It's like uh, I've been struggling with uh, depression. I really don't want to use this word because I feel like I, I'm... Like depression is not part of my personality, just to say. So uh, I've been, I, I feel kind of uh, embarrassed. Like in the first year of doing comedy, somehow I use depression as a comedy stage. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been doing well. I feel like uh, once I get to resolve all my personal problem, my comedy, my my comedy, just take a better turn, uh, and uh, it become more purposeful. I hope more inspiring to other people instead of just being this one thing I put out every month. Because I'm just too self-absorbed. <laughs> and what's the kind of support like in Saigon or in Vietnam for, for mental health? At the moment, I would say uh, it depends on what kind of language you're speaking. So I mean the two main languages uh, spoken here would be Vietnamese and English. For Vietnamese, I think uh, the direction is more toward the psychiatric uh, treatment. So a lot of my friend uh, went for consultation uh, for mental health in uh, hospital and stuff like that, and um, they would usually end up with a prescription, uh, which is all right. I mean, those are own professional doctor helping you out. Um, but I feel like, again, um, the accessibility of information of where to go for treatment and stuff like that are not that... Uh, uh, well-known among Vietnamese community and also there's a certain stigma for people who try to get help for their mental health in Vietnam whereas if you speak English there seems to be more private facility more easily accessible places like um, in District 2 there's a whole bunch of uh, center you could go to uh, in District 7, you can book appointment with uh, a private uh, therapist. So there's uh, definitely more options, uh, easier options for people who speak English. And, um, and then there are also a Facebook group that uh, offer help, like you could message them so that they could um, tell you where to go to look for help. 
uh, link you up with a um, professional whom they are co cooperating to run the page. And what's the name of the page for anyone that uh, might want to access that? Uh, Saigon used, um, I mean, the, for the expat group, there used to be a group called Saigon Support Group. Um, they are not active at the moment, but still they can provide you with uh, information if you need it. And then I think for Vietnamese, there's a group called The Beautiful Mind. And is that in written in English or written yeah, in English? Yeah, it is uh, written in English. Um, but like the whole page is in Vietnamese, so you could just go there um, to uh, message people. Um, and then uh, I think the page uh, is run by people who have like a professional degree in the field. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So there is support out there. So, so you would, to summarize, you would say like um, in Vietnamese, they just like, they give you a prescription. Yeah, like if you go but to hospital and stuff like that, like you don't, like um, local, in local hospital, you don't have the luxury of uh, having a therapist who keep track of you. Uh, you just go there like on um like uh, on a appointment and then seeing random doctor until like maybe you're so severely sick then maybe they assign a doctor to you personally but uh whereas in uh center english speaking center more likely there's a certain therapist that would be specifically assigned to you and keep track of your progress so it's been good to see that um, you're in a better place. Mm. And I, I noticed that in your performances and on your social media. What helped you get to the better place? I think being uh, more aware of uh, options to help myself out of the uh, dire situation. Uh, because before this, uh, I'm very self-absorbed, kind of like... Because uh, I've been through uh, a really difficult uh, time. My mom passed away. I had to move out to live alone by myself. Uh, I lost a job. Uh, I tried to get back to working, but also uh, I didn't feel well uh, physically and mentally. So again, like a lot of things on my plate, I couldn't take care of it. Uh, and uh, I think my brain was just overloaded. And also I didn't have any outlet to release on this sort of frustration, on this build up negative energy but um, recently I got more into uh, fitness uh, I got into dancing I dance more often so uh, physically uh, speaking I got to be more active and it's a mind body thing like once your body get more active your mind get clearer like there's more clarity to your thinking which have a lot with um, dealing with depression. I, I would say it, it's not gonna totally remove your symptom of depression once in a while those symptoms still show up, but at least you have this clarity to be aware that, okay, I'm not feeling well, I need to get help now before this becomes too bad and getting out of hand. Yeah. Awesome, so what advice would you give to anybody who maybe is listening and maybe feeling something similar? Um, I think the best advice I could get is to um, uh, never afraid to ask for help because that would be the first step to get out of the difficult situation. You need to uh, remember that uh, no one could survive by themselves. 
like maybe you're you are very self-reliant maybe you're very independent but uh, only up to a point then you're gonna have to ask for help and there's no shame about it like people are willing to help you it's funny because that once I got um, really really bad even stranger is like high school friend I haven't talked uh, to for seven years suddenly reach out to me after they read my Facebook post I only because I don't know who's gonna be there to help me so that's why I put things on Facebook kind of like hey I'm not in a good place but I don't know who can help me so this is just you know like an, an invitation and then suddenly like people you know strangers someone who never talked to me in real life or someone I haven't talked to for years suddenly reach out and help me so yeah like once you're you're running into problems just ask for help and you you would be surprised where those help come from that's awesome good advice um do you feel um like you're a trailblazer or a role model for for other like vietnamese comics or or vietnamese girls women Uh, no (laughs) because uh because there's not many vietnamese comics female vietnamese comics and especially not you've been pretty successful you've won competitions you've toured I feel like I just have the right combination of element to be able to afford doing it because uh, financially uh, mentally culturally I am just equipped to do it like um, so I, I wouldn't say like oh Vietnamese female are not doing comedy because they are not that brave or anything. Like no they they there are like a lot of female who are stronger, smarter than me. But maybe because they have better things to do. <laughs> so that's why um so in any way I'm I, I don't think I'm a role model for anyone. I'm just uh, maybe an example of uh, okay there's an option out here if you want to try then you can try it yeah that's pretty good that's it you're a trailblazer so let's um, move on to the questions that I'm going to ask at the end of every episode we've got new questions from that's the the big difference between season one and season two we have new questions Alright, I feel like I missed a trick in season one not asking this question because the name of this podcast is 7 Million Bikes um, because there are over 7 million bikes in Saigon registered anyway. In Saigon only? Oh my god, I thought it's a whole country. No, just no, in no, Saigon. No, 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 in Saigon, exactly. I think it's like 7.5 million. 12 million people, Yeah. 7 million bikes. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and if someone has asked me, like, what are you going to do when it's over 8 million bikes? I say, well, I'm not going to change the name of the podcast. That's just the name now. Um, So what kind of bike do you drive? Do you drive a bike? Yeah, I do drive a bike. Uh, My bike is Noza. It's like a very cheap and light scooter for entry-level scooter for any ladies out there (laughs) who are too weak to maneuver the bike by herself. And what do you, how do you deal with Saigon traffic? Um, I just try to be as zen as possible. So be- before this, when uh, I drive somewhere, I need a headphone to listen to music and stuff like that. 
but I realized that uh, in the long run that actually make me more frustrated than I should have been so now when I'm stuck in the traffic I would just zone out or talk to myself or go over my material in my head yeah I, and then I figure out just you know by getting very within yourself time kind of pass a little bit faster because I, I think one of the biggest miracles ever is the lack of road rage in Vietnam and in Saigon because you know road rage is such a big thing in the West for like minor things here like it, it, it's just mind-blowing what happens on the roads nobody cares I think that's why Buddhism kind of <laughs> takes up here <laughs> Is that, do you think that's the Buddhist influence? Yeah, I think it's a Buddhist influence. Like, what can you do? You just have to accept it. It's mm. not like if you become angrier, then the traffic gonna move faster. Yeah. Interesting. Now, if you know, if people are listening that, and that are live, have lived in Saigon or live in Saigon, they will know that you sometimes see some very strange things on a bike. What is the oddest thing you've seen on a bike? There are two oddest things I've seen on a bike. Like, uh, around my the area I live in, there was a mannequin manufacturer. So sometimes I would see like, especially at night, this is very creepy where people transport like a torso or head or a body part. Like one time I saw an arm on a street, and I was freaked out. I said, like, "Holy fuck!" Someone else was on the street, and then as it turned out, it was just um, you know the delivery man just dropped an arm there. And it looked really horrible at night, <laughs> and also a box of heads and stuff like that. Yeah, it's not. It's funny you say that because it wasn't on a bike, but my wife and I were going down the, the road on our bike, and there was a guy walking with a mannequin, and he just had like the torso, and we were freaked out as well. We we're like, "What's that?" And then it was like, "Oh, it's just a mannequin." <laughs> yeah. And then what's the second one? The second one is that uh, I think there's a local theater near my place as well. So uh, once in a while, I see people dress up in uh, like uh, ancient clothes, and because we own the you know like flamboyant hairdo of the ancient character, they couldn't wear the helmet. So it's just like time traveling. You see these like really old, uh, uh, like Mandarin, you know, officer f- kind of person riding a motorbike. <laughs> They've come with from- with uh, a weapon like a spear or whatever, going through the traffic. It's just like it's very poetic in a way. I thought you were gonna say with a mannequin. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would be fun. All right, so um, you've you've <laughs> this question is almost redundant because you've mentioned you're unemployed. Oh, oh, oh. correction, freelancing. Freelancing, okay, yeah. freelancing, okay. <laughs> so you have twenty four hours off. What do you do? Uh, if I have twenty four hours off, uh, I would definitely uh, watch something on Netflix. Um, for like, uh, I like the docu series there, so um, probably watch Netflix for four hours. More than that is not healthy. What do you watch? What's your favorite show right now? What uh, are you watching? The Family is about this conspiracy. You should watch it yourself. Oh, okay. I like any sort of uh, conspiracy uh, 
mystery documentary. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, in, I'm into that. Yeah. I've been into that. I've kind of gone away from it because I got too too far into it. Yeah, I mean, and I was always like, I have to just balance. take yeah, a yeah. step away from yeah. it. What what the family? What's the family? Oh, it's about how Christian affect the politics in America. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. All right, I'll look that up. So yeah. four hours of Netflix. Yeah, four hours of Netflix, and then after that, probably uh, order some food from uh, outside. I love just eating food in my own home, of course, like everyone does. Uh, nothing much. I'm like really boring person and spend the rest of the day sleeping. I guess. Just like biscuits. Or yeah, vegan. just like biscuits. Probably hear biscuits. Maybe snoring throughout the episode as always. But she's an angel. She's just sleeping here quietly. Or maybe I go out for coffee. It's always good to like have coffee sitting by a river or any kind of uh, body of water and then enjoy your drink. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, now, so if you had the next week to explore Vietnam, where would you go? I probably love to go to uh, go up to the north again because I love this place like Chang Am, Ninh Binh. I can always go back there and just, you know, uh, rent a bike and just um, a bicycle to cycle around. That would be amazing. Other than that, maybe I would love to go to uh, the mountain area like Hazan. Have you been before? Yeah, I've been there once before. Uh, it was such a amazing trip where we got caught uh, in... Like if you have you been to Hazan mm. before? Like yeah, like if you uh, go back a little bit late, then it's just on fog around and you couldn't see anything. Yeah, we were really unlucky. We got really bad weather for the first two days, uh, and it was just raining the whole time, and it was cold and yeah, foggy as well. It was horrible, but but still like unbelievably beautiful. Luckily for the last two days, it cleared up. A funny story with that. Hazang, I um, took my phone out to look up a map or something like that. We went up the hill and I went to get my phone out to take a picture and it wasn't in my pocket. I was like, I've dropped it. So I went back to where I last had it and we scouring the road the whole time, couldn't find it at all. So we get on, like, you know, find my phone on my wife's phone yeah. and we can see that it's moved and it's down the valley. So we went up like the hill and it was in the valley. So we literally went door to door on the bikes, dogs, like we were terrified and we are just like, like we can't speak Vietnamese, we are just like, din thoi, din thoi, like we probably don't even understand what we're saying. One guy was like kind of tried to help us but couldn't help us and we were just about to give up when this woman obviously understood what we were saying and like pointed. Yeah. Oh, and we text the phone saying like, if you have my phone... We text it from my wife's phone saying, if you have my phone, we'll give you 500,000. Like just, like it was ringing. We were trying to call it, they weren't answering. Eventually we found it and it was just like two women with babies, two men, and they had my phone. I was like, oh my goodness, amazing. I was like, and they wouldn't give me it back without giving them 500,000. I even tried to negotiate and like I can do numbers in Vietnamese so I was trying to be like you know I'll, I'll give you 100,000 200 wouldn't take less than 500,000 and they literally were like holding it hostage like holding it away from me and wouldn't even let me get it but they, they gave it to me I gave them the money I was like right whatever you know it's like just over $20 get my phone back we sat down and had tea with them <laughs> we were in this like valley in Hazang and there's just this like little basic wooden kind of house 
Yeah, we got pictures with them. We sat down, we had tea, and then yeah. we just went on our way. And I was like, it's a cool story. <laughs> we literally were going door to door in this little hamlet in the bottom of this valley, just shouting, Din Twai, Din Twai, and found my phone. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, it's weird, right? Like, normally you would think these people are like unfriendly towards you. Like, funny because you talk about your story, because I have a story like last about two years ago. Uh, my then boyfriend and I were, you know, like taking a bike ride to Bing Thuat and then we crashed into another bike. Like the crash was pretty horrible. And then they tr- they wanted to beat up my then boyfriend because um, according to them, he was the reckless driver. But actually, I think it was both of our fault. It's no one's fault and also everyone's fault. And they tried to beat him up. And uh, I tried to talk them out of it, like a lot of screaming involved. I was just like, everyone calm down, and, like, we're gonna solve this. And um, after checking, like, um, they are not hurt at all. And then they see that my boy, then boyfriend uh, had some sort of injury on his arm. They offer to take us to the hospital without asking for any compensation at all. Wow. I was like, oh wow! <laughs> was that was on the fighting was for man. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. a good outcome. And then, so my last question: um, Do you have a hidden gem in Saigon that you can share? Hidden gem in Saigon, I would say uh, maybe around the neighborhood that I live in. There's a little sort of like river in District Seven, Chungson area. So it's really a nice place to sit down and have a cup of coffee, looking out to the RMIT campus from across the river, which was good because last time when uh, Bob Dylan was performing there, I got to listen to it for free. From Who was across, playing? Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan? Yeah. Was playing at RMIT? When? A few years ago. What? Let's Google it there. He came over here to perform. And I got to listen for free from across the river. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Maybe go check that out. So, um, what's next for your comedy then? Like, you've you've just done a tour with uh, J.K. Hobson, who's our first guest in season one, uh, up in Hanoi. How was that? Yeah, it was amazing. Like, uh, we got uh, a lot of shows in such a short period of time. I think about... uh, six shows in, in a week uh eight days something like that and uh it, it was really cool to perform to an a group of audience who are not familiar with us yet so we we could use our own material yeah. or whatever yeah it was amazing like and then we got to meet a lot of uh aspiring comedian and um, they give us a lot of energy to like continue our journey back home so that's great Cool. And so what's next? Uh, what next for me? I think I'm just uh, trying to uh, write more new material, uh, perform more uh, frequently in uh, open mic night. Uh, go out for more open mic night because I think it's a really good training ground. And so um, to uh, do more female-centric comedy shows because I feel like uh, female do not really have that many uh, platforms to express themselves especially in this form of entertainment so currently actually tonight we're gonna have another installment of the Banshee show which is a own female comedy show 
So uh, I would love to be able to take part in that show as often as I could. And also Offensive Job Night. Uh, and then both of those shows are hosted and organized by Angie, uh, the diva. And uh, yeah, I think I'm just gonna focus myself to do those two shows well. Nice. And so new material job yeah. each month? Each month. Yeah. Each month. So that hopefully, uh, and yeah, uh, talking about that, maybe I go on tour uh, for September. I already got an invitation to do a show in Da Nang. We're going to do a new venue in Da Nang. And then in December, I would go back to Hue with JK to do a night there as well. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. It's been awesome having you on. Great having a chat with you. Lots of fun and good luck with uh, your future health and uh, your future comedy career as well. I'm looking forward to seeing you perform and uh, laughing because it's normally pretty funny anytime you're on stage. Thank you for listening to episode one of season two of 7 Million Bikes of Saigon podcast. It's great to have you back. Or if you're a new listener, I hope you're enjoying the show. If you haven't had any episodes before, then please go back, check them out. They're on the website, 7millionbikes.com, or you can get them at Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Uh, there's pretty much everywhere that you can get a podcast, you can find it. So check them out. Uh, give me some feedback. Let me know what you think. Are you enjoying the show? What could be better? You can leave it on Facebook. Uh, you can send me an email, 7millionbikes at gmail.com. And if you have any suggestions for anyone that you'd like to hear being interviewed, then let me know. That'd be great. I can get in touch and see if they want to come on. Um, Thank you very much to my guest this week. It was really um, good to hear from Tu. Good to hear that she's been working through her her mental health issues and still been able to produce some hilarious comedy. She's definitely one of the funniest and uh, out there comedians that I've heard in my time in Saigon. So if you see a, a show of hers coming up, make sure you go check it out. And um, as always, thank you to Lewis Wright for composing the theme music and to Lane Wynn for helping me with the cover art that you can see everywhere. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, The next one's going to be a good one. It's going to be with Sen Wynn, who is a journalist who reports on, uh, amongst, amongst many things, she reports on sexual abuse in Vietnam. And so that could be a difficult episode for somebody to listen to. If it is, feel free to give it a skip. But um, if you're okay with listening to that, it's going to be a good one. So thanks again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I hope you enjoy future episodes and check out any of the old ones if you haven't listened already. Have a great one. Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. 
Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>